ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome everyone to take two of the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Nate, and tonight I'm joined by Jason. How's it going, Jason? Hopefully you sound okay it, this time. It, 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 it goes. I sound wonderful. You sound much better now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you mean by take fun... two. This is this is the first time we've done this tonight. <clears throat> oh yeah, I, I must uh, must be deja vu. I'm totally yeah. It's everything's gone off without a hitch tonight. There's no issues at all, and everything is awesome. There's a song for that. So uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna talk tonight about preparing for maintenance, and I don't mean like taking your car to get an oil change. I mean, maintenance in the sense of, you know, the IT professionals, uh, you know, uh, migrations, maintenance, upgrades and whatnot of production services. Right. Um, we've all been through them. At least anyone who's worked in IT long enough in any kind of an operations role has has had to uh, to go through some kind of maintenance. So tonight I just thought we'd go through almost like roundtable style between Jason and I and talk about some of our own best practices on different stages of the the sort of life cycle or whatever uh, steps you might take leading up to maintenance, things to do during maintenance, you know, during a maintenance window, how to plan maintenance windows, and what to do once that new service or migrated service has gone into production, right? So um, I thought we'd start out with, uh, let's see here. Nate reviews his notes. Yeah, well, you know, I got distracted by Ow. everything going on tonight. I wrote, I literally, literally wrote up these notes like a couple hours ago. Yeah, how to maintenance. <laughs> all right, so first of all, um, we're going to assume that, you know, you've already got whatever it is that you're going to be rolling out. You know, like it's it's already planned. You've already got it architected and whatever. And, and you're preparing to actually put it live. Like you're a couple weeks away from when you want this thing to go live, right? So the first thing you want to think about is how do you make sure this new deployment of yours, whether it's a new service that's being stood up or a service you're moving from an old service to a new one or perhaps an upgraded system that you're taking an old workload and moving to a new one, how do you know when it's actually ready for prime time? So like how, how can you be sure that when you turn the thing on or when you cut over to it, it's not just going to fall over, right? And uh, I think the answer the developers to that is, told me is so. testing. The developers, no, the developers told, you told me so. Told me so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so step one of so the maintenance plan is find a scapegoat. Find a scapegoat. Yep. The developers told you so. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, that's you know that's valid. You do need a neck to squeeze when uh, yep. when things don't go properly. Uh, so yes, identify who owns the thing, <laughs> and who told you <laughs> it was ready to go live. Yeah. Yep. Um, but in a more in a more practical sense, I would say testing. Right. So, in a, in in the old world, back in the days when Dirt was young, right, um, we would simply do things like stress tests against the thing a couple of days before it was, was before it was supposed to go live and hope it didn't explode, right. And uh, there were tools to get that done. Uh, we used to use one at the college called JMeter. Remember that one? where it would basically just do like a bunch of requests against a web application. And most of the stuff that we were putting live was web applications. Uh, but nowadays in the, we still use that. Come on. You, you still use it. Okay. I don't, I don't uh, really have my last job to do those yeah. sort of tests anymore. My, my last job used that <laughs> like a lot to do okay. their stress testing. 
now. So I mean, uh, know, things didn't always go in, well, but <laughs> in today's in today's world, you also have uh, you know in the DevOps world, right? You probably have things like unit tests and whatnot built into your build pipeline. So that when new code is, is written and deployed or ready for deployment, all these tests, maybe not stress tests, but functionality tests are performed, you know, sort of during the pipeline, right? Now, Jason, you might have more experience with that than I do. Is is, is, it, is that really, do you, like, is do that, you, do, is that do you all Do you have any awesome? job openings? <laughs> do, you, do you have job openings? Because, like, you're, you're describing, like, a place that would be wonderful that has all of this, you know, it's stuffed together and, and, and would all work flawlessly. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm only speaking in theory. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, uh, I guess ideally that would be something you could do is, you know, have testing, right? So you want to stress test your, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it depends on, it depends on the age of the company and the maturity level of the company. Right. So, um, you know, older, you would think that older companies, tend to have their, their stuff together. And some, some of them do, uh, the vast majority that I've encountered do not. And they're still doing things the way that things have always been done. Uh, which is, you know, off the cuff and kind of dumb. Uh, so, you know, there's no, there's, there's not always unit tests. Matter of fact, unit tests is something that I'm starting to encounter more recently than I have over, over many, many years. Um, it's starting to get pushed in various places. And that may be because, you know, my job these days is DevOps versus being a network engineer slash sysadmin. So, yeah. you know, the, the change in title seems to be putting me in, in, in companies that recognize uh, that these things are important, not that they're doing them, but they pretend. Um, and then you have young companies, you <laughs> know, your use, startups. They use all yeah, the buzzwords and that's what matters. Right. right. You have your startups where unit tests are, it, it depends on the developer, depends on the mindset of the people putting it together. Because remember, uh, a, a startup is generally how incredibly fast can we build something because, oh, God, we're bleeding money. Right, and, right. And unit yeah. tests don't don't give you money. Um, yeah, I know our, our product is broken, but, you know, we'll fix that in the next release. And then, yeah. then we were showing improvement as we do it. And, and right, like, because, legitimate because you strategy. have you have investors that are like, yeah. we gave you a bunch of money. We need to see a return on that. <clears throat> and right. it's not I don't want to say it's not important, but it's not it doesn't look as good to say, hold on. It's not quite ready yet as right. here. Look, we have a thing. Yeah, the car only right. has three wheels, but we have a car. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the next version right. is going to have four wheels. Two the of them won't version, work, but we'll have yeah. four wheels. <laughs> and then the version after that, three of the four wheels are going to work and it only goes backwards. But hey, you know, it's moving now. So, But it might so, have a horn. You know, We're going to implement horn right. in version three. <laughs> right. So there's there's always changes. And, and you know, eventually one thinks uh, that eventually things will catch up where you go, okay, we, we've hit a point where we need to start being stable and unit tests help being stable a lot uh, if yeah. they're written correctly, you know, because that way that way, you know, uh, dev dev two goes and makes a change and, you know, five unit tests stop fail or start failing. Well, as long as they don't skip the unit tests in the build pipeline, you'll know that something's yep. something's kind of hinky and you got to go fix it. Yep. Yeah, um, I always imagined that writing a unit test to test a piece of code as you're writing the piece of code is probably the best practice there, right? Because it's 
what the code is supposed to do is still fresh in your memory. So writing a test to test whether the code is doing what it's supposed to, you know, it makes sense to get it done then. But I don't know. Is that, yeah, is that we're 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 I mean, we're 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 veering off topic a bit, but um, there are yeah, there are several yeah. different um, mindsets as to unit tests. So there's there's a, a what they call test driven design, which is that you write all of your unit tests up front before you write any actual code. So that so the idea oh. is that you design you design the tests to uh, allow the code that you want, like you know, it should it should be designed so that the output of the tests is the output you're desiring from your code, right? So if, if okay. you're passing the tests, your code is doing the right thing. Um, I, I I find that difficult. I, I, I it does my, my head difficult. doesn't wrap around it properly. Yeah, um, like I get it in know, concept, but right. Like I, right. I have enough trouble starting a new project to begin with, let alone starting the project by looking for the result first. That seems really yes. backward. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. It, it, yeah. But uh, I, the people that I know that do it, um, like swear by it and 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 love well, it. it. I mean, I have. If you can work, if you can work that way, it sounds like a great way to do it. Like, <clears throat> like to use the car analogy from before. It's I want a car that'll go 127 miles an hour. And I want it to have four seats and I want it to fit four people comfortably. And those are my, those are my, my tests, right? Make me a car that does those things, right? Now you have an the, idea the, of what those your, are, what your those goal are goals. Is, I mean, right? the test, the tests would be more like I turn the wheel to the left. The tires should turn to the left. Yeah. I was, I turn I the was wheel trying to, to the simplify. right. The tires should, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the typical pattern I've seen is, you know, you write your code and then before you commit your code to the repository, you write unit tests that wrap that code. And you use things like code coverage right. uh, systems to identify if your code is properly being covered. Um, ah. That's that's typically what I see. In so either code case. So the code that does the tests for the yeah. code. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and unit tests are not fun to write. They just aren't. Um, no, I'd imagine the they other, wouldn't be. It's not nearly as interesting as writing the actual code might be. Right. So, yeah, it's yeah. it can be kind of a, a slog. Um, but that said, the uh, there's a there's a whole different mindset that says that if you're the developer, you should not be writing a single unit test at all because as it and and you know I've done this and seen this. Um, if if you are the developer and you write mm -hmm. code that you know adds two numbers. Yep you're going to write a unit test that tests that those two numbers are added, but you're not going to write a unit right. test to see if the answer that comes out is a letter or a symbol or a negative number, right. or, you know, like you're not going to write all the edge cases because, well, it should never do that because you wrote the code to do the thing that you want it to do. Duh. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, I mean, I know you have stories about putting in negative numbers for uh, yep. uh, uh, prices for things. That's exactly um, what, what popped into my head. But I've told it yep. three times on the show and I'm not going to go into yeah, it I again. <laughs> so so the, the, this, this, this kind of mindset is that you have a, a testing team or, or a set of other developers and their job is to write tests for the code. You know, they get they get right. a uh, an a description of the function on what it's supposed to do. You know, this function takes two numbers and it returns the uh, addition of those two numbers. Okay. I'm going to write a bunch of tests to, to test that sort of thing. What if you I know, feed it a chicken and a number? Does it come out with a number right. or does it return an error? <laughs> right. 
Right. And of course the, 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 uh, Chicken does uh yeah, not exactly. The, the, the unit test itself is only testing the output. Um, so you have to, you have to feed it garbage to make sure that, you know, garbage in results in either an error or, you know, something that's, right. that's reasonable. Um, so there, there's a lot of different stuff to that. And, and, you know, when it comes to, you know, to swing, bring it back around to deployment, I mean, unit testing yeah. is only one small piece of the whole thing. That's, that's code, you know, but deployments yeah. are, are you deploying code that your developers have written? Are you deploying some open source thing you found on the internet? Are you deploying, you know, some enterprise crazy thing that you had, uh, you know, consultants come in and help build for you? Like, you know, what, what, what is it that we're deploying? Because there's, there's different ways to handle all those different pieces. Right. One, one would expect that if you're doing like a normal code release, even if it's a new product, but if you're doing a normal code release, um, as part of the development process, you've already gone through all of the testing. You've done the, you've done your, your, your normal testing. You've run all of your corner cases. You run your security tools against them. You've done your performance testing, right? So, you know, all of that should be done way before you ever think about deploying it. Right. Right. And Whereas, really, I guess if you, if you think about it in, in the world that we're describing here, right, the goal is that you can make microscopic changes to that code and push them like whenever. That was the thing they were talking about with the DevOps movement years ago. Just, you know, no more maintenance windows. You just make micro changes and uh, roll them back quickly and easily if they fail. Um, that's not the truth yeah. for everything, though, right? They're still no, like, oh, I need to roll out a new Oracle server. That's not DevOps. <laughs> um, sometimes it is. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it could be right, but but there's there's certainly use cases where it's like, you know, it's just the scale of it is too big that you can't just do it whenever, right? Which was the dream of yeah. DevOps. I mean, so so uh, I I can't speak to Oracle because that's that's sort of a a, a weird case and ugh. anyway, <laughs> and um, it brings back nightmares. You know, but I but <laughs> I, I I can say that you know um I I do know of people who have automated deployments of things like Kubernetes, you know, like. You know, once yeah. the straight from short of like, as long as there is hardware to run this thing on, they can push a right. button and it will install the operating system, configure the operating system, install Kubernetes, configure oh, Kubernetes, yeah. set up all the certificates, you know, build the entire yep. thing from scratch and you just yep. give it a couple yep. of inputs. Yeah, that's one of the goals um, of like uh, OpenStack, for example. You can deploy to bare metal with OpenStack. And you, you don't have to deploy just OpenStack nodes. You can deploy, you know, a database server or something on, on right. bare metal or in a VM, right? That was, that's, that's one yeah. of the attractions to, to systems like OpenStack. And there's other things out there that do that. It's just the first one that comes yeah, to mind. Yeah, I mean, you, you have stuff like Terraform that can, that can deploy to yep. anything from like, you know, your, your, your big uh, cloud providers, Amazon, um, you know, Azure, uh, Google, um, but then you have all, you know, it'll also deploy things to like uh, uh, Hyper-V clusters or VMware clusters. Yep. Yep. Hybrid cloud. That's the word. That's the buzzword. All right. So you've got your whatever it is that you're going to put live, whether it's an application or infrastructure or whatever. You've got it all tested. You, you're pretty sure it's going to hold up to normal workloads and maybe even workloads plus some, which is even something we didn't talk about, right? So... Uh, you spec out your system, 
But you don't, you know, you, you might spec it for day one operations plus some percentage based on growth, right? And you don't want to test it against load from just normal operations. You probably want to test it for load plus growth, right? So that's just something else to consider. Um, but we're going to assume that you've passed all that. You're, you're, the, the, the thing that you want to put live is ready to go. Now, how do you plan when to put it live? Now, you and I have both worked at places where, where uh, uh, maintenance windows were very on the fly. And we've also worked at places where maintenance windows were a very rigidly planned thing. There's a certain day every week or several days every week, certain hours every week during that day or those days where you can make changes, right? And that's that's a level of maturity that a lot of places don't have. And it's also a thing that some places maybe even reject. They don't want that rigid of a, of a cycle. So um, I just kind of thought maybe we would try to weigh some of the pros and cons of like, how do you pick when your maintenance window should be? Say there is a schedule, or maybe you're trying to get your company to implement a schedule like that, right? So to me, it's, you need to identify when your sort of off peak time is, right? Maybe that's once a week, maybe it's twice a week, maybe it's a couple months out of the year, right? Maybe you work in retail and, you know, you cannot possibly have any interruption the whole month of, you know, November and December because of Christmas, right? Or because of, you know, whatever. Um, so... Right. I guess you, you have any input there? Like, have you, uh, I think you were there. Maybe you weren't, maybe it, maybe it was already in place when you started at the college, but I, I think you were there to help implement those maintenance windows when we were in the college. They yeah, were already they, established they, when I got there. They shifted around and a college is actually pretty easy for maintenance windows because it's, yeah. you know, tip, typically nine to five Monday through Friday is, is kind of like your, quote unquote, busy period and any time outside of that is really, eh, I mean, it depends on what's what's being updated, right? So um, if you're looking to update things like, uh, we'll take the college as an example. If you're looking to update things like courseware, um, something that, you know, affects live classes, you know, something along those lines. Well, you, you can't do that between nine and five because, well, there's live classes, but you can do right. that kind of any time outside of that. Um, right. But then when you're talking about maintenance windows that affect things like, uh, networking gear, um, you know, or, or, you know, networking gear is probably the biggest one, but, um, arguably email, uh, Don't let the Wi-Fi at go that down. point, right. At that point, they'll make, they'll make a Twitter account to complain about it. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of best effort because it, it, it best effort to find a, a, a time to do it. So you, you kind of say for networking stuff, you go, well, super late at night or super early in the morning because, you know, people will be sleeping and that's, that's kind of your time. Um, right. You know, and, but there's, there's some like, again, email is, is one of them where it's like, well, I mean, in theory, you know, you kind of don't want to do it during busy times, like during the day, but anytime after that is kind of, kind of fair game because everybody's doing email all the time. You just gotta, you gotta kind of notify people, but right. there are companies, there are companies, there are a lot of companies now that, um, you know, their, their maintenance window is, is, is non-existent. Like they're, they're a global company with 24 seven operation. 
and and the the game changes completely for those sort of companies. And it depends. I think it heavily, heavily depends on what exactly your maintenance is for. You know, right. if your maintenance is for, you know, something simple like a, a you know upgrading the OS on one of the no like across your your enterprise or something, like. And I say that's simple, but like with a lot of a lot of uh, the way things are configured these days, it's all cluster based. So you can take a node and a cluster down and upgrade it. It's not a big deal. Like this, this should be a, you know, a maintenance thing that could be done arguably at any time, because again, you're taking down a node, but it's, 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 it's a redundant node. Um, yeah. But, and again, only, that all comes down to how well you did your testing, right? Right. Did you test that redundancy? Did you test failover? Did you test migrating workloads? Things like that. Right. So it, in any case like that, the best, the best, or my, you know, the way I look at it, the best way to look at determining when you can make those changes is to actually look at graphs of, you know, you should be, you should be graphing your busy times, like on average, when, when is our, uh, when are downtimes for this particular, you know, thing that we're looking to upgrade, um, right. or or do maintenance on, and then kind of, you know, you have to be flexible enough to work around that, um. And and you'll find that, you know, when it comes to clusters, you know, as, as long as you're not doing a launch of some new product or something, you know, at the same time, clusters can probably be done just about any time, um, especially when you're dealing, again, with a global company where you have to be up 24-7 anyway. Um, yeah, but then as, there's other things that are, like, that super cluster, dependent. Yeah, as long as that cluster is not running hot all the time, right? Like, like right. it's at capacity and losing a single node will actually but cause... That's know, a an outage of sorts, that's, right? That, you, you that's are, poor you are, Right, you're overutilized, <laughs> and your maintenance should be to be at to be to your maintenance there yeah. should be adding capacity, not upgrading things that are already there. Um, right, right. But you know, like sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and say, like, there's you know things depend on this, you know, this node or whatever that we're we're upgrading. We we have to put a maintenance period, and you just you know notify people far in advance and notify them a hundred times that this thing is coming. And then, you know, when it comes, you shut it down and you do it and you deal with the fact that everybody's going to complain because nobody ever reads their email. Yeah. That's a whole other problem. Right. And I didn't even put that in the outline. Like how do you deal with notification and how long of a window do you need to notify? Right. And that's, <clears throat> that's another case for set maintenance windows, right? That was one of the reasons we had them the way we did at the college is because it was published everywhere. If it's Wednesday right. morning, you know, if it's 2 two a.m. or between 2 and 4 or whatever it was on Wednesday morning and things are down, uh, don't call us because it's probably a maintenance window, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, yes, we announce maintenance windows and we tell you what's being changed and whatever, but there's a good chance that if it's between those hours on this day, uh, it's probably yeah. a maintenance window. And, you know, nope, give this it wasn't time. open at 2 a.m. anyway. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But, you know, the, <laughs> the point was the expectation was set that yeah. these are the hours that either that we will that we could be doing maintenance. If there's problems during those hours, it's probably maintenance. Give it some time and check back when the maintenance window should be over. You'll probably hear from us, you know, that we did something right. So in a in a more modern, mature system um, for some things. Uh, clearly not everything, but, but for some, some things like, you know, applications that you're running upgrades are done on the fly 
at any time new code is available because you can do you can do A/B testing. Um, so you know you deploy your new version alongside your old version and you slowly migrate customers over to the new version, monitoring the entire time. And if you see a problem with the new version, you flip them back to the old one and kill the new one. You know, right. and, and you just you continually do that until, you know, people are, are safely on the new version and then you can spin the old one down and then, you you, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Yep. Yep. More of a uh, sort of a soft, well, I guess not soft migration, but a stage migration maybe is the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for, where it's you take a chunk at a time. Orchestrated. Until everybody's moved over. I've, I've been through a few like that. I've also been through a few that are hard cutovers. Um, and I've been through a few where we've had to roll back. So, uh, yeah, it's it's always good to have that safety net where you can just be like, this ain't working. <laughs> Flip it back. Well, I mean, that that, <laughs> that brings in, in the other, let's see, do you have, you don't even have that in here. So, I mean. I may not. You know, you're, you're planning, <laughs> you're, you're planning the maintenance window here, but like, you know, part of, part of a maintenance is having a run book or having a, uh, a mock. Oh yeah, or a, a I did intend to put that or, in here. And forgot about it. Or you know whatever whatever stupid term we're coming up with these days for the piece of the piece of virtual paper that says these are the steps to do the upgrade, these are the steps to undo the upgrade when it in, in, you know inadvertently screws up. Yep. And these are the steps to yell fire and run. Yep. <laughs> yep. And this you know this these are this, the these are the resume generating events. This uh, this this kind of runs into the next topic. I just didn't really outline it the way I, I had hoped I was going to. But yes, you're. This is this reminds me of again when we were at the college. Um, our boss at the time was very much about the dive plan. That's what he called it, the dive plan, right? If you're if you have a maintenance, you write down the steps on the things you're going to do, and you try to figure out what rollback could be if rollback is an option, right? Uh, one guy that we worked for basically said there has to be a rollback for everything that we're doing. Otherwise, it's, um, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. And sometimes there just isn't, right? Like some upgrades, there wasn't an easy rollback, except maybe like a snapshot and restore, right? But uh, but anyway, having a plan going into your maintenance is a really good thing. I remember when I was administering Zimbra, um, we had a pretty complex Zimbra install. It was spread out across like by the end, it was like twelve servers, right? There were mail, there were mail processing servers, there were there were mail store servers, there were IMAP servers, like there were all these different pieces involved and proxy servers and all kinds of stuff. So whenever I would do a Zimbra upgrade, it wasn't just like log into the mail server and run an upgrade. It was things need to be done in a specific order. They need to be done across twelve different servers, and they need to be done in a way that's not going to break anything, right? So we. And this goes to the preparation, right? We had a completely separate install that mimicked production in dev when basically I would, in preparation for a Zimbra upgrade, I would make sure dev was in a good state and I would upgrade it. And then I would revert to the snapshots and I would upgrade it again. And I would revert to the snapshots and I'd upgrade it again. I would go through the upgrade three or four times. So I knew everything that was supposed to happen and when it was supposed to happen. And then when I did the, the production upgrade, it was it was just basically like I'd start the upgrade and I'd like go get a coffee, <laughs> right? Because I knew every little piece. So, uh, you know, that that goes to preparation, right? And the, the next segment I wanted to talk about here was how do you prepare your team for go live? And that's not just your team. It, it includes you. It's not just you preaching to your team. 
Um, but basically, if you're in a in an environment where you're not the only guy, which hopefully you're not, although in the case of that story I was just telling, I was kind of the guy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you probably have an assistant or you probably have another sysadmin or you probably have a team of sysadmins that all are expected to support different services. You may have your specialties and they may have theirs. But the idea is here that you may want to go on vacation sometime and other people are going to have to know how to support the thing that, you, that you're specializing on, right? So, um, and that goes for maintenance as well, right? What happens when you're up at 2 a.m. doing your upgrade and you are just spent at the end of it and you're like, all right, it's live, I'm going to bed. You probably want to get some sleep at the end of that. Well, if something goes wrong three hours after you fell asleep and no one can get a hold of you, People around you need to know what happened, what went on, and how to fix problems, right? Otherwise, you get woken up and you don't get to sleep. I see you snickering yeah. over there. No, you have a no story? One, no <laughs> one can get a hold of you. Yeah, right. right. No one can get a hold of me because I, I turned this thing off. <laughs> yeah, I did the upgrade and, and oops, I forgot to leave my phone on on purpose. I left, <laughs> I left my phone on my desk and I whirled over into bed, yeah. So... Um, Anyway, what that comes down to is, did you document the service well? Did you document your plan for the upgrade or whatever you're doing that you're doing uh, well? Uh, did you tell other people what you were doing? And did you tell them where to find the documentation? If it's a complex architecture, did you make a diagram so that people can glance at this and go like, oh, that's what all these 12 servers do, right? In the example of my Zimbra setup. Um, and did, did you brief anybody? So that someone else can jump in and and uh, fix fix the system that you were working on simply by using your documentation and your notes and whatever, right? That's that's more important than you think. And no one likes documentation. No one likes making diagrams and writing documents. I guess some people do. Most people don't. In my experience, most sysadmins are all about the the point in time work and less about all the paperwork that goes around it, right? So. But I'm that, telling that you. documentation, that, that documentation is super important for you know, incident response. So in, in, in the case that something goes wrong, whether security related or not, and, and it generates some sort of operations response, you know, um, because an incident has happened, that documentation at least, you know, covers you to say, these are the things that he did. So the fact that, you know, component Y is, is flipping out and, and is broken is, you know, that's, that has nothing to do with this because component X is the one, the thing that was upgraded. So now, now you have, you have some written documentation that says that this is what I worked on. These are the things that I did to it, you know, and, and it can help the operations team identify when problems, you know, arise afterwards, you know, cause what I typically see is, and, and this is, this is both op operations folks and, um, you know, just normal clients is, well, it worked fine until you did an upgrade last night. Oh, well, that's that's wonderful, but you're complaining that, you know, the volume on your computer isn't working and we upgraded the web <laughs> servers, the, the web server in Australia. Like th these things right. are not related. Right. Yeah, but it worked until you upgraded that web server. Like, uh, OK, must be related. <laughs> Let's, yeah. So so like, you know, then that happens like a lot. Um, you know, you upgrade something or change something or whatever and people start, you know, identifying new problems that, you know, in, in some cases you'll find out that that problem that they're complaining about that's existed for a year. They just haven't said anything. Yeah. 
I mean, um, the the real problem with all that, uh, though, is that sometimes they're not wrong. Right. <laughs> sometimes it turns out that in some weird way, that strange thing that they're reporting that couldn't possibly be related to the maintenance you did is <laughs> right. And that just yep. that just reaffirms that belief that. Oh, IT did something. Therefore, my VCR right. clock is now is now flashing twelve. And really, it was just that they had a power outage overnight. God, VCR. Does anybody what's listening a v- remember a VCR? What's a VC <laughs> VCR? I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's what we pirated movies with before the Pirate Bay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, back, it's back when we had beepers. Back when we had beepers the old pager i never actually had an well no i did i did for a short time have a pager pager instead of a cell phone pager i remember when we I switched had several over. different types of pagers yeah. yeah matter of fact i've still got it it's shelf, over here on my shelf somewhere is my old pager yeah i always i always joke that i'm a better processor than i am uh, a nas because i i do better jumping into a situation and solving problems than I do recalling documentation or even recording documentation, uh, even though I know those things are very useful. And to be honest, that's how most of my career as a sysadmin went. Oh, something's on fire. Get Nate. And I jump in, diagnose the problem, do my best to fix it, and we'd move on. And the problem is that your whole team probably isn't good at that. If you are, that's great. Like, that's a good skill to have as a sysadmin. But... Um, as, as much of a hero as it might make you look, uh, it doesn't help the other admins who are maybe better at following documentation and solving problems than jumping into an issue. Um, and, and I'm, I'll admit I'm guilty of that. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of not documenting things well enough. It's something I've tried to get better with over the years. I, I uh, think, because I think most, times, most IT people suck at documentation. Yeah. Well, there's times where it helps you, not just your team, mm-hmm. right? Like there there have there have certainly been situations where I jump into a problem and I solve it and I think it's fixed and then we move on with life. And then six months later, the problem comes back and I jump back into it and I solve it maybe a different way, right? And then it's good for another six months. And then I jump back into it and I can't remember how I fixed it. And now I can't find the problem. Even though this brain fixed it twice before, I may not be able to fix it that third time. But if I wrote it down the first time, one, you know, um, we'll have some kind of a record that says Nate did this thing. Two, I'll be able to follow it to fix it again later. Three, we might get something closer to a real solution instead of just break fix, right? So, again, this isn't quite about maintenance windows at this point, but it's all valid stuff to talk about. Yeah, but but keep in mind that, that documentation is a skill, too. Right. So it is, you know, it is, you could, you could write documentation. That means a lot to you. You could look at it and go, Oh, and off you go. You know, somebody else looks at it and goes, what what is this gibberish? Yeah. You know, there's there's a difference between writing. (laughs) There's a difference between writing documentation for the layperson and writing documentation for you specifically. And when we talk about things like writing, um, you know, uh, uh, run books or, or, or MLPs or, or whatever term again, we're going to use the, the, the rule of thumb that, that I've always used, um, you know, both as a manager and, and as a, um, and as a contributor is, you know, when you write an MLP, 
you know, and you're writing down what has to happen both to do the, the, the maintenance itself, to roll back from the maintenance, all of those steps that are in there should be written in plain language that, you know, the average person, and, and it's hard to say average person, the, that, that, you know, anybody with a, a modicum of, uh, IT skill can do, right? So, you know, you should be writing down, this is the command that you are going to run, you know, install, you know, dash right. this, dash that, you know, write everything down. You don't, you don't put a step in that says, okay, install the software. Like, well, how? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's the installer not, it's has 400,000 options. Yeah. It's not just run setup. It's run setup with these options or it's compile right. with these flags or, you know, whatever it is that you have to do to get this thing working. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Jay Scar says if you can grab someone out of high school and they can follow the documentation, then 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 it's okay. Right. Yes, <laughs> to a degree, right? Like I, again, I I I feel that in some cases, it you know there is there is a there is a reasonable expectation that a person has a certain set a certain skill set, right? So you know you can write in you know SSH to this server, like. The, the person doing this should be able to do that. And if they can't, they should not be running this mop at all. They, they just stop, walk away. This is not your job. Um, but, you know, you should be able to put some things, some very, very simple skills in there and, and explain that. Um, and remember that, that you know, depending on what, how your company is set up and how they do things like, you know, for, for instance, we do what we call go, no go do, uh, documentation, which is, which is our, you know, it's 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 a general runbook, um, but in, included in there is a description of what you're doing, a justification for what you're doing, the steps on how to do it, how to roll it back, what it what it's going to affect. You know, it's, it's it's a whole big document that identifies like what's going to happen. And yes, there are a handful of technical people who are going to peruse through it and say, you know, like, oh, well, you, you know, you can't do that because you don't have access to that thing from that location or whatever. But then you have a, you know, a handful of, you know, product people who are going to go, OK, we're doing this because, you know, we want to put these features out and OK, we're going to ignore this section because it's all tech and I don't know what any of it means. And OK, we do have a plan on how to roll it back. Presumably that would work because I don't know what any of that means. OK, we're good. So it's it's not just technical people that are going to be reading it. It could be, you know, product people. It could be, you know, operations people it could be you know kind of kind of anybody in your company depending on what your workflows are and, and you have to write a document that has the information for each and every one of those people and so that they're able to follow it so and and i i mean on top of that i would you know just as an aside i would recommend having something along the lines of like a, a ticketing system to start tracking this sort of stuff that will give you timestamps of when things start when things stop kind of a running log, et cetera, you know, that'll, that'll save your ass later. Yes. Yeah. That is, that is a valid thing, right? So there's, there's documentation that you've written beforehand, but having a work log while you're sort of in the thick of it is not a bad thing, especially if it's a break fix thing right now during a maintenance window, maybe there shouldn't be as much think on your feet. It should be very cut and dry. These are the things we have to do. We do these steps, having a log that says I did the steps and when that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. But, um, and, and this again, isn't quite specific to a go live, but in, in a break fix situation, having a work log that says, I'm witnessing this, I did this, I did that, I checked this, 
I made this change, right? That's very important as well because, and then going back and integrating that into your documentation for that service, right? If you make a change that stays, that needs to go back into the documentation because otherwise, if you're rebuilding the service or if you're trying to troubleshoot the service, you may be looking at the original documentation, not whatever work logs have been done to the thing, right? So that's that's an important thing to keep in mind. And, and make sure you set yourself up to succeed. Um, simple things like, and, and I can't, you know, I don't do enough windows stuff to, to answer this on the windows side. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're dealing with command line stuff, go into your, whatever terminal program you're using, set your scroll buffer, your scroll back buffer to infinite, save everything oh, yes. that's there. That way yeah. when you're done with the maintenance, you can, you can, you can scroll back up and go, yeah, so I was doing this. I was doing this. Wait, what was that command? Hang on. Let me scroll what was up. was the next thing? Oh, right. Go I can back copy and, and paste the, it yep. right in. Yep. Um, yep. You know, doing doing GUI-based stuff uh, is a little bit different because there's no there's no real scroll back buffer unless you, like, record the screen or something. You could do a screen um, recording. <laughs> um, be careful with that only because some legal departments get really, uh, you know, really upset you, when you record things. Like passwords. Um, well, I mean, hopefully it's not echoing it to the screen. Yeah. But, no, you know, I, know. Um, I know. Recording anything, uh, 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 legal departments kind of frown upon. Oh, right. Because um, it's a recorded. You're right. Okay. Yep. Can use that as evidence later. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, don't 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 set yourself up to fail and and you know just automatically delete everything that happens. Um, keep log files. You know, like you know, clean everything up when you're done. Make sure you're not keeping, you know, artifacts that don't need to be kept. And, you know, yeah. if you're if you're transferring yeah. files, like you have to transfer keys and they have to hit your desktop first or whatever, make sure you clean that stuff up. But, you know, th this way you have a record of what happened and you can look back on it and you're not necessarily scrambling to remember what happened because, you know, some maintenances go for far too many hours and, you know, it's not entirely your it, fault, but sometimes it, you're, you're very tired. tired. You don't think of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's good to yeah. try to remember that stuff later. And that actually transit. You were talking about security keys. That transitions to a really important piece, I think, anyway. Is if this is a new deployment of something, or even if it's a significant change to something that's already in existence, has it passed your security and compliance checks? Right now, maybe you don't have a security group. Maybe you don't have infosec. Uh, maybe you are the person that's trying to to uh, to implement best practices to keep your system secure. Or maybe you have some big overbloated security team that has all kinds of bureaucracy that wraps around every service that's, that, that is in deployment. Um, either way, you need to do whatever it is that your company wants you to do to make sure that the service you're about to put live, you know, the service that has been behind gated doors for so long is now going to be exposed to the public or at least the user base. Um, make sure it's, it's secure. Make sure it's locked down. Make sure it meets all your security criteria. Because the last thing you want is you know, somebody knocking on your door, hey, that thing you put live, it just leaked all of our customer data. Thanks. <laughs> right. So when you're done with your maintenance, make sure that you go back to your blog and you delete that blog entry that had all the information you need to do the maintenance. Yep. You don't want that yep. laying around out there. You don't want that laying around. And, <laughs> and, and the screen recording you put up on YouTube, delete that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and last but not least, in... I mean, this isn't quite preparing your team, but it is preparing for the the imminent go live. Do you need vendor support, and should you tell them about it beforehand? Now, 
with all of my Zimbra upgrades, I used to open, uh, what did they call it? A preemptive ticket? I don't remember what, they had a word for it. It wasn't proactive. That's, that's what we use at Red Hat. But it was, it was basically, I'm about to do an upgrade. I'm going to open up a case and I'm going to say, this is the maintenance window I'm doing it in. And their support people might say, okay, can you give us this, this, and, and the other thing, you know, to try to sort of spot check things before you go live. Um, as a TAM at Red Hat, I help customers open up proactive cases all the time. And what we ask people to do is to provide things like an SOS report from the system before the upgrade, stuff like that. And we, we actually have support. We'll look over some, some things before the, the upgrade, right? And uh, even if you don't have a TAM, you can open a case to do that. And a lot of vendors do these, right? I, I, don't, know that if, I don't know that I've ever come across a vendor that flat out will tell you, no, we don't do that. Because it is, you know, they want you to succeed. Your vendors want you to succeed generally because they want to keep taking your money. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to. They want happy customers that keep buying their products. So they will do things like proactive cases, um, have support engineers on hand so that during your maintenance window, if things really go sideways, you can call them up and try to get help. So uh, the one thing you do want to pay attention to, though, is how, like what, what kind of lead time does your vendor need for those things? Um, again, using Red Hat as an example, we like it to happen like 10 days or so before uh, your maintenance window. And that doesn't mean we can't open one closer. It's just a lot nicer if we have more warning because, you know, there's literally support engineers get scheduled to watch your case, right? And the more time, the more lead time we have for that, the better. And I'm sure every vendor has a similar thing. That's that's maintenance versus incident. I'm sure incident is different. Like you know, oh oh oh, oh yeah. no, like yeah, yeah, thing yeah. broke. Call yeah, that's a totally different <laughs> scenario. Ah, it's on fire. Call the vendor. That's different. Like that's yeah. that's an incident. I'm sorry. I we mean, need a ten day notice before case. we can have a fire. Yeah, yeah, that's a different thing. That's a totally different thing. So, but yeah, it's something worth thinking about. It's always nice to have one more level of expertise in your corner when you're going into a maintenance window. Just even if you don't need them. You know, no, you will never hear a support person go, damn it, why didn't I get an update at 2 a.m.? <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they if you're, if you open the case and your maintenance goes completely smoothly and at the end, all you do is say, okay, we're good, close the case, they're happy, <laughs> right? So it never hurts to have that case open. Although it, it, it is courtesy to tell them that you're done so that they're not yes. sitting there going, is it please done yet? Them. It's been six hours. Yeah, please, please tell them <laughs> when, you're, when you're done, when you're done. <laughs> All right, uh, let's see. And the last thing, and this, this is the piece that gets missed a lot. And really, there's so many facets of IT where this last little bit um, doesn't happen, right? And, and this is how, like, what do you do after you've gone live? Like, what does the first what, week or two look like? Well, the, the app is up. It's done. You just, it's you done, know. right? Just walk away, right? So, yeah. so the first the first week or two after you put a thing live, depending on how big the thing is and how complex it is, maybe it's longer than a week or two, but generally the first couple of days, the first couple of weeks, you're probably watching the thing really close because you want to make no, sure that's, that that's, the thing you just put into, into that's, production. That's the operations team. That's their problem now. Like I, I put it out yeah, there. Yeah, well, we're getting, we're getting to that. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to that. You may watch the thing pretty, and you, you may be right. It could be that the operations folks are the ones that are watching it really close, but maybe that's not the way it works for you. I don't know. Um, 
But basically, somebody is going to be watching it extra close to make sure that things don't go sideways. You're watching logs closer, you're watching performance closer, but eventually it gets to the point where you're pretty happy that, you know, it's up, it's running, it's live, everything, there's nothing on fire, right? right? What do you do next? You turn off all your monitoring because it's working properly now. You don't need to be alerted when it, when it breaks. Yeah, right? <laughs> what I'm talking about is, is sort of operationalizing the, the new service, right? So there's a point where it's not new anymore. Now it's just daily business, right? Yeah. That means it needs, yeah, that's, that means that's it a, needs monitoring. And you probably did this before it went live, right? Hopefully. It needs, it needs good monitoring. It needs good um, uh, alerts and whatnot tied to it. You want to make sure that the logs are going into your log aggregation system if you have one. Uh, you want to make sure that um, any, say it's a physical install, right? You want to make sure all the documentation about where the servers are physically located and whatnot, it has all been updated. Make sure all the documentation that you generated while building and perhaps troubleshooting any issues you had on go live day end up consolidated and put into whatever documentation you have for this service, right? Which is kind of what we already touched on. You have anything that you do, Jason, that, uh, well, it, that it, I didn't cover? It, it, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on on what it is. I mean, you know, so if, you, if your maintenance is upgrade of an existing system, this a lot of this stuff is in place already. And, and you may stay in touch with the operations team for the next day or two, you know, yeah. for, for, you know, a short period of time just to make sure that nothing, nothing weird happens or that, you know, if something does happen, the operations team kind of keeps you in the loop. You're not going to actively do anything, but you, right. you want to know what's going on. Right. Um, versus a, a, a new, a new deployment where in, in a lot of cases, and again, so much of this depends on the maturity of the organization you're in. Um, but, you know, in in the case of a new service, typically what I've seen happen is that the operations team is is trained up front on, you know, here's the new service. These are the things to look out for, you know, whatever. But you're not going to cover everything because you don't know what it is. The operations team can't, you know, it's new service to them, so they're not going to have everything. So you work in concert, you know, you know, it, it may be for the for the next six months operations team is the first to respond to a problem, but you know, they're, they're given a, an SLA of, you know, you know, if you can't figure out what the problem is in 15 minutes, contact one of us and, and we'll help right. debug it um, until you have a comfort right. level with the system that you're able to pass on. Um, and, and with what I've, one of the, one of the things that, and, and this is, again, this is a more mature organization, you know, kind of structure and it, it doesn't always exist this way. But one of the things that I've noticed in some orgs is that as a, you know, as a system in DevOps insert crazy new term here, um, your documentation is thrown out by the operations team. And, and what I mean is that they're going to take that and they're going to turn it into operations documentation. They're going to take what you have and go, yeah. Okay. Whatever. But they're gonna they're gonna document things based on their system. They're gonna you know. So you're yeah, gonna provide I mean, them information, and and in some cases you don't provide them any written documentation at all. It's it's in the form of let's get on a, a call or let's huddle in a room and you're gonna show me this thing front to back and I'm gonna write all of the documentation because if I can write the documentation on it, yeah, I know the system. Yep. And that's and that's it, actually it's, a it's really a good. good tool. 
That's a that's a really good point, right? Uh, that's a great way to prove that you know a thing, right? The guy who wrote the docs is probably as qualified to manage that thing as the guy that built it. In fact, maybe more qualified, right? So if if the person who built it or the person who architected it takes somebody else through it, start to finish, and that person can write accurate documentation, start to finish, then they may actually be more qualified to run the thing day to day than the person who built it. I mean, right. maybe not. I don't know, but but that is a great that's a great way to prove that uh, the the person who's now responsible for this thing knows it, right? And that's right. that's actually a thing we kind of glossed over and made some assumptions on, right? You need to identify, maybe you don't, but someone needs to identify who is the person who is responsible for this thing or team, right? Maybe it's right. you, like in a small enough team. The person who architected a build it is the person who's responsible to meant to run the thing day to day, right? That's exactly the position that I was in at the college, and so were you. We didn't have an operations team. We were the operations team, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, we, we don't want to sound like we're in this perfect world where the sysadmin or the architect is this, like, rock star who walks around and never has to worry about anything at 2 in the morning. Um, that may not be your world. You, you may be the one that's, that has to deal with this and all the more reason to have good documentation. <laughs> you wish it was, huh? I wish those it was. The, those are the glory days. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the guy that's like, yep, things are flowing great and just getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Unless they're not flowing great. Right. <laughs> no, then I can just point to it and go, it's that guy's fault. Pay me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. No, it's, Seriously, though, I mean, you know, like DevOps as as I mean, as a DevOps person, the the and again, like controversy and, and jump up and down about what your your view is on it. But, you know, it's, it's kind of right in the title. You're a bridge between dev, development and operations. Um, some some companies seem to think that it means you do both. And some companies think that it means that you're like this middle ground that bridges between the two. You know, you know what really development do either, does yeah. well enough. Right. You, you know what each of these groups does well enough that you can help transition from one to the other. And, and that's sort of my view of, of how that should work. Like developers develop this thing that is, you know, presumably going to make the company money. And the operations folks are the ones that maintain it and keep it running so that the money comes flowing in. Your job is to take what the developers created work it out so that it, it is up and running for the operations team to deal with it. Um, and it, it's different. It's kind of different mindsets on what, you know, what each person is doing. A developer is concerned with their app, their app only, and that's it. Whereas an operations team needs to know everything about that app and every other app and how they interact together. And, oh my God, how do I keep this thing up and running? Because if it goes down, we're losing, you know, X dollars a minute. Right. Your job is to figure out how to, to bridge the two. Um, and a lot comes with that, you know, uh, testing and deployment and, you know, building infrastructure and, you know, DevOps people can do anything from, you know, simply doing CICD pipelines all the way to, you know, building infrastructure, doing the operations work, et cetera. And, and there's a lot of different terms for sort of what we do. Sysadmins. You know, network admin falls in there. SREs fall in there. You know, there's all these different terms and it depends on what company and what sort of mindset they have and what the culture is there and, and how they sort of flow. Um, you know, the company that I'm with now, you know, we're, we're adding 
all sorts of different departments here, there, and everywhere. And it's like, you know, the, the, the stuff that I'm responsible for that used to be like all encompassing is now starting to kind of dwindle down to the point where I can breathe, which is weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's other people, you know, my, I, I'm still responsible for, okay, this thing came in. Now we have to get it over to these three teams that are responsible for running it and, and making sure that, you know, it's monitored and making sure that, you know, whatever. Um, but, you know, once that's done, I can I can sit back and go, OK, what's the next thing? You know, instead of, you know, kind of tearing my hair out, trying to do all of it at once. Right. And and that comes with a mature organization that comes with with, you know. Growing the system and, and sort of understanding what each person does and and maintenance is a big part of that, you know, so now I'm still responsible for some maintenances, but we have in in our case, we're financial and it depends on the market because we're we're global. So, you know, where I can do maintenance on system A today right now, because, you know, it's based in Hong Kong and they're closed because it's the middle of the night. But I can't do maintenance on site B, which is U.S. based because, well, they're in business right now. We can't do that right now. It's Monday morning or um, something. Yeah. Right. So, so we, you know, we kind of flow and, and, you know, it depends. Things are starting to get global. So we actually have people who are kind of around the world. I mean, we're a small team, but, you know, we have people in different time zones who can do different things at, at different times. So, so it's, it's, this stuff gets complex sometimes, you know, maintenance, maintenance may not be as simple as like, this thing needs to be done right now. Um, you know, figure right. out a time yeah. because yeah, maintenance, it's... maintenance is starting to, you know, as, as companies become more global, maintenance is becoming one of those things. That's like, how do you, how do you schedule that? You know, you're, you're a 24 seven organization. Like how do you schedule taking something down to fix it? Because at that point, when it's down, you're losing X dollars a minute or X ruples a minute or yeah. X which is one a minute or, you know, whatever, which is really, it's really why this space, the IT space has, has matured the way it has into highly mm -hmm. available systems, right. Or cloud-based systems or DevOpsy, you know, systems that, that are all little microservices that can be easily upgraded and changed whenever, because there really isn't a good time to take a system down anymore. In some cases, Right. In other cases, yes, you can still take systems down, especially if you're very regionalized. But uh, yeah, with a global system, you know, when is a good time for Amazon to be down? Like, when is it okay for me to go to Amazon.com and I cannot buy a thing? Never. <laughs> right. I, I don't mind when I'm sleeping. If I'm if I'm asleep, you can take the site down. It's fine. Yeah, but when you're asleep, folks in California might not be. And when they're asleep, yeah, I don't. Folks that's their problem. Not China mine. might not be. I don't know. I don't know about yeah, China. China again, are they allowed to go to Amazon? I don't know. They have. They probably. I don't know. Have their own that's Amazon. that's their problem. As <laughs> long as problem. it's up when I'm right. awake, we're okay. Yep. Um, yep. Yep. The other, the other, the other piece of advice that I give it, it, that, and and this goes for maintenance. This goes for pretty much anything. Like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. If you don't know something, like there's there's a there, you know my. My general rule of thumb is if you spent more than 10 minutes banging your head against it, ask for help. Yeah. Especially like, like inform your, you know, whoever you're, you're reporting to like, Hey, you know, I've been working on this thing. I spent about 10 minutes on it. Not, I'm just, I'm not getting anywhere. Do you want me to continue? Or, you know, is there somebody I can ask for help? 
you know, yeah. and, and, but you know, they may say like, keep on going, you know, let me know when you've, you've hit an hour and, and you've gotten nowhere. Right. Um, but right. sometimes they go, Oh yeah. Uh, talk to Bob. He's, he's done that, you know, 400 times and we're just, you know, we want you to figure it out too. And honestly, that's, that's something we hinted at, but didn't really touch on having a rollback plan for your maintenance. When do you need to execute it? Right? Like, do, do you need a time limit? Do you need a, okay, the maintenance window goes till 4am. If I haven't made significant process by th progress by 3am, it takes me 45 minutes to do the rollback. I'm going to have to start it then. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah, that's, that's a valid a, that's thing a to try point. to plan out. What does rollback <laughs> look like? How long does it take to roll back? And at what point do you get to the point of no return where it's quicker to solve the problem or get through the rest of the maintenance than it is to roll back, right? Because you may have a deadline. Right. In, in some cases, that stop time is a little more fluid than in others. Um, and in, in some cases, it's if you're not done by 4 a.m., like you're looking for a job <laughs> or, you know, X millions of dollars are going to be lost or whatever, right? You need to be done by the end of that maintenance window. In and, other and cases, rollback, it's like, ah, oh, well, you went over by, to, by 15 minutes, whatever. It's no big deal. Right. And and the rollback time for any, say, you know, product A, you know, you're, you're working on on a project to go from, you know, version one of A to version two of A. Could be that the rollback is, you know, as simple as, okay, uh, you know, uninstall the old, the, the new version, put the new, the old version back in or restore the snapshot or, you know, insert any, or, any means by which you restore can from put the old version back in. <laughs> that, yeah. that may be simple, yeah. but when you, when you get to, there are certain points where the upgrade process requires uh, a conversion of data of some sort. You're upgrading a database. You're migrating data from, you know, well, migration's actually not usually not too bad, but, um, you know, if, if at any point you are converting stored data from one format to another, for whatever reason, your rollback is probably going to be longer. And there's a, yeah. there's, there's, there's what I would consider a, it's not quite a point of no return. I mean, hopefully you have backups, so there should never actually be a point of no return, but you know, there's a point at but which. A, there's a trade-off in time is what I was getting at, right? Yeah. Is it yeah, there's, faster there's, to work through the problem right. than it is to roll back? There's, there's a point, you know I mean? there's sometimes a point You're, in a maintenance where you, where, when you get there, if you cross that barrier, your ability to roll back goes from five minutes to an hour because right. now you've converted data as opposed to just deployed some code. Um, Right. And, and right. you, you kind of need to understand where that is because that determines whether you need to roll back earlier or later. Um, yep. and, and, and again, that's another one where I would say like worst case scenario, cover your own ass and call somebody who's in charge and say, I'm having a problem. This is where I am. Here's our options. What do you want me to do? Yep. Yep. Never hurt somebody else's problem. Never. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a, a lot of people think, if I ask for help, I'm going to look like I don't know what I'm doing. Or if I admit failure, that I'm going to look bad. Uh, I got to be honest, right? So the, 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 the incident I've talked about on this show where, where I broke our, our virtualization environment, uh, I, spent, I spent some time the evening it happened, and then I, then I worked on it a little bit overnight. The next morning, I was in my boss's office, and I said, look, I screwed up. I screwed up bad and here's exactly, I laid it all out. 
and there was there was no red faced screaming. There was no uh, Nate doesn't know what he was doing. It was okay. Let's call a meeting. We got to figure out how to get out of this. And that's and it just day by day went from there, right? And it was a long and arduous thing, but uh, we got through it. And I I feel like I actually gained more respect by dealing with it the way I did than if I had tried to cover it up and fix it without anybody knowing about it. Because realistically, looking back, there's no way I was going to fix it without <laughs> without anybody noticing. <laughs> so, all right. Oh, anyway, I think we don't try to hide things. You that's a that's a resume generating event. If you try to hide your screw up, yeah. don't bother. When somebody finds out, you're going to be finding a new job. And What's and Nate name? is hearing noises or something, and something what? is going on in his room. I think he's talking. I think oh, a small okay. child has entered Nate's domain. You've and been a, invaded. And, and a dog too. And a dog. Oh, okay. Didn't plan for that in your maintenance, did you? Yeah, right. Come on, I'll get it unlocked. All sorts of craziness going on. <laughs> and, I, and I smell popcorn. They have popcorn. I feel jealous. All right, all that because the Nintendo has locked. Because it's late enough at night that they're supposed to be getting ready for bed. <laughs> all right, so um, I think we've covered this well enough. Did we miss anything? What do you think? Anything we didn't touch yes, on? Yes, we absolutely missed stuff. And you know what? Welcome to maintenance. Figure it out on your own. <laughs> Time to put on the, the fire or the fire. Seriously, attack, I mean, right? honestly, like you're going to you're going to put a plan together. And at some point you're going to be going through that plan and you're going to go. I didn't expect that. And and now you're yeah. off on your own. Yep. If you can't roll with the yep. punches, <laughs> you're in trouble. That you know, I mean, just just like I was saying before about being a better processor. Right. That's that is part of being assistive me being able to think on your feet and solve problems. Right. Like the, that's. In my opinion, that is a bigger part of the job than all of the book smart or exam passing that you can do, right? Just being able to solve a problem by thinking it through, keeping your head, uh, not panicking, right? Like that's, I'd say, easily 80% of being a sysadmin. Maybe maybe I have the ratio wrong, but that's, that's how it's been for me, um, you know, it, Oh my God, everything's down. The company's losing money. Do I panic? Do I run around with my hair on fire or do I just logically sit down and work through the problem? And that's, that served me pretty darn well. <laughs> I, I, I love the situations where I am, you know, like incident response is like kind of where I shine. I love working through problems yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Early, you know, it's, early it's, in my career. It's, it, it's not a hero thing. It's it's just it's so much fun to be like dropped into a problem of like this yeah. is broken. We need to fix it now. It, it feels good after the fact to have that respect. Like early in my career, when I was still a junior network admin, this is the first place that I worked that I was an admin and not a support person. Um, we had this case where a switch failed in our data center, um, and we had. 24 servers that were hosting customer data connected to that server or to, to that switch. And we're in the, me and the boss, I'm still relatively new at the place. We're in the data center and this might be like my second or third month there. And we're like, this switch isn't working right. We don't know why. And I, and there's a switch right below it. That's got nothing plugged into it. 
And I say, what about that switch? And and he's he like he can't even talk. He's so panicked. I'm like, like has anything? As far as I knew, there was nothing planned for that switch. So I just like took the uplink cable and plugged it into the next one, and I started moving network cables. And one by one, all the machines came back up. And afterward, I'm talking to the boss, and he goes, "How did you do that?" I'm like, "How did I do what? How did you keep your cool and not panic and like think about?" using the other switch. I'm like, well, part of it was I made a, like a guess that this was going to work. And part of it was panicking doesn't solve problems. (laughs) And and the other part is I don't own the company. So whatever. Yeah, I guess I have less stake in it. If I lose a job, I can find another one. If your company goes under, it's kind (laughs) of, but yeah, he had no business being in the data center anyway, but uh, like there was a point where he really knew his stuff. I mean, he built the place. He did it all himself to begin with. But when he started bringing in people underneath him, as many bosses do, he started to lose some of that skill set. And, uh, yeah, yeah, he didn't belong in the data center. He so, just didn't know it yet. <laughs> some people are good under pressure. Some some people are just like they shine under pressure. And some people are absolutely beyond brilliant, like the smartest goddamn people you will ever meet in your life. And you put them in a high-pressure situation, and they're dumb as rocks. They don't even – they just sit there and blubber. They, they don't know can't. what to do. They just can't think, yeah. Some people are built for it. Some people aren't, you know, and you figure it out and you move on. You know, don't be don't be upset if you're not a person who is not built for a high pressure environment like that. Yeah. Or 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 for a high. You know, pressure comes in different different ways, you know, like, you know, you can be under a lot of pressure as a developer to have to get things out on time and, and develop some crazy new algorithm or whatever. And you could be brilliant at that as opposed to under high pressure because something's down and you need to fix it right now. You know, it, it's, it's different types of pressure. Some people are good with it. Some people aren't like, you know, figure yeah. out what you're good at and do it. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I think we've covered it well enough folks. If, uh, if anybody has any of their best practices, they'd like to share, feel free to reach out to us so you can do so on social media or join our discord community. You can make fun of how I say Discord. Oh, Mark's not here. Discord. Uh, right. Um, wow, I he's think he's got you trained. Like you, he, he does. Nobody he was does. there to make fun of you, so you made fun of yourself. That's yep. Well, that's why I made the soundbite. Pavlov's Nate. The sound the soundbite is there to throw back at Mark when he tells me that I say Discord wrong, because that's me emphasizing how I say Discord. Discord. <laughs> Anyway, folks, if you got anything you want to share with us, go ahead and share it in whatever way you, I mean, if you can like train a carrier pigeon to send me a note, uh, with your maintenance best practices, I would love to see that. So somebody out there that knows how to train messenger pigeons do that someday. I want to get one anyway. Uh, we don't have a bunch of news tonight, so I'm actually not going to split the show in half. So Jason, unless you needed a break, I'm going to play the transition music. We're going to go right into chat. Does that sound good? Push the button, Frank. Push the button, Frank. Push the button, Frank. Uh, Yeah, there's enough news in the world, and to be honest, like today, there's some pretty crazy news in the world. Um, 
to be honest, I didn't have time today to look through the news. <laughs> Things have just been busy. You know, I, um, I know stuff so. has happened. Uh, the biggest thing tech-wise that I've seen happen is the whole RazzleCon Bitcoin thing. But we talked about that last time. Um, mm. Pretty sure we talked about that did last we? time. Yeah, I think we did. Okay. That was the the two uh, two people who tried to... Uh, Oh, the world's the worst point, rapper? Was it four, $4.7 billion and one of them turns out to be the world's worst rapper? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, we talked uh, about that other, last time. And we even played the music, other stuff it was terrible. I'm, yeah, <laughs> other stuff I'm sure has happened, but the only yeah. tech-related story that seems to be dominating at all is the fact that, you know, the Ukraine was invaded and um, you know, a lot of people are concerned about cyber warfare. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so usually... If we come up on a show night and I don't have a lot of news to report, I'll just go to Slashdot and see what's trending. And even on Slashdot, most of what's trending is about Russia invading the Ukraine. Not even from yeah. a cyber perspective. It's just like, hey, this is big. <laughs> and I guess it kind of is. So, um, yeah, we don't have a lot of tech news tonight. So we're going to go through the usual announcements and Patreon stuff in our chat. And uh, then we're going to call it a night. So if you were expecting more, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll do better next time. So I do want to thank all of our patrons. Um, I don't think we've had much change in our patronage since the last show. So this is all going to sound familiar because I copied it from last show's notes. Uh, we've got Zed Thor, name pending 197, Jeremy, Aranami, Andrew, Tatro, Bruce, Robert, Matt, David, Solemn, Trooper-ish, Linux Sys 666, Gimpy B, Mark with a K, our good friend, The Mentor, uh, John the Nice Guy, Mark with a C, Julius, Andy, J, Charles, and 22532, who remains our longest patron. Longest lasting patron? There we go. So, thank you to all of you for your support. Good stuff. I just had to pay for uh, Streamlabs today, and that uh, was paid for out of Patreon money, which is good. Glad I can do that. Uh, I don't know if we have any other real announcements for today, except uh, the usual. You can support the show via Patreon, as mentioned, or you can get yourself some merch through Teespring, teespring.com slash stores slash iron sysadmin. And, um, yeah. That was a very short announcement section. Do you have any announcements? I don't have any announcements. Nothing yet, no. Nothing yet. There will be a B-Sides eventually. Jason yes. will be involved, and we'll tell you about it then. That will be the plan. <laughs> I guess that's usually what dominates our our uh, announcements section when that gets closer. <laughs> All right. Uh, you have any fun projects going on, or you just been, like, heads down doing work stuff? Uh, it's It's been, uh, you know, it's been a lot of work stuff. Um, outside of that, I, I finally beat Halo Infinite. Oh, you were talking about that Which on our was... last show, that you were eventually going to do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so the, the frustration is that that I, I, it's it's so again, it's it's I was surprised by the, the gameplay was so much better than than the previous games. Um, the problem is that there's a there's a kind of a a, a move you can do in the game, which is a, it's a ground pound because you have like a, a grappling hook now. Mm. And for whatever reason, in the final battle of the game. I clipped through the 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 uh the level several times and it oh, absolutely wow. 
unbelievably frustrating. And the first the first couple times I did it, I couldn't figure out how to get the game to recognize that I was outside of the bounds of the map, the map. And, you know, I should I should die, if you will, um, yeah. and be able to move back in. And, and I just couldn't do it. So the only option was to quit the game and restart it, which brought me back way back because there's um there's checkpoints there's checkpoints and there's uh uh, i'm sorry there's there's chapters and checkpoints or something like that um and you know if you if you quit the game and restart you start way back but if you were able to convince the game that you had died you'll restart closer to where you were um i eventually figured out how to do that and you know was able to finally beat the game um neat game i like the story it was you know at least it filled in what happened between, you know, it took till the end of the game, but I finally figured out what happened between uh, four and four and infinite or five and infinite, whatever the hell the numbers are. Um, <laughs> the last game in this game. <clears throat> so where do you go it's after infinite? <clears throat> but it was fun. <laughs> it, it was, I don't know. It, they, they have to though, because it, it's set up for another game as you would expect. Um, next, next so now I'm playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Which which is kind of right up my alley because you know I'm a Viking, so um, and it's a lot of fun. So I've I've been you know the time that the time that I'm not banging my head against issues and building stuff and working for you know a million different companies, uh, I'm I'm kind of you know hanging out with the family or or hanging out with the family and playing games or just playing games or whatever. So yeah, it's it's good. It's, it's been fun. good. It's good to be able to disconnect from work, like. You and I have both been guilty of this. Yeah, I would I would argue that you more than me that it's sometimes difficult to disconnect from work, right? And now that we work from yes. home, it's even harder. Um, it's really easy at Red Hat because you know I there, there's really no reason for me to be me to be working off hours um, unless a customer tries to contact me, and really then, then it's just like a matter of setting boundaries. Um, for you still being in an operations or I guess managerial, I don't know what you're doing exactly at this point, but you said you're working for several different Me companies. Neither. So maybe there's several different hats involved there. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe that's even harder, especially when there's several different, you know, like I'm sure if you're dealing with startups and whatever, there's not necessarily a set nine to five, right? It's these things need to be done. Right. So it's, it's hard. Yeah. To, you you, to you, shut you that still off. need to set boundaries. Yeah. You, you definitely need to set yeah, boundaries. Yeah. Um, and it, it's taken it, it it's taken a very very long time for me to kind of put that together and and work my I mean I still screw it up but um you know I don't care who you are where you are what you do you know make sure you set aside time for family um for for downtime um you can't work all day every day I mean it's one thing yeah. when you're single and you have you know you kind of can just do whatever. Um, but once you have a family, like they need to be prioritized and you know, that's, it's a hard lesson to learn. Um, but it's a good lesson to learn. So, you know, I'm, I'm much better at it yeah. now than I was. A lot of people learn it by completely destroying their home life and losing their wife. Right. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, so, you don't some of us there, learn it specifically, so, but yeah, some, some <laughs> of us learn it because our wives are, are, you know, uh, uh, vocal enough to say like, you're destroying things, you know, cut it out before I kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and she could she probably could she absolutely <laughs> could your ass that is <laughs> absolutely could um uh, but no it's good it's yeah. good so so you know i have my i have my downtime and i have you know like I, I i do work for 
a lot of different, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a day job and I have a lot of customers outside of that. Um, the nice part is that those customers outside of that are generally speaking, they don't overlap. So, you know, I can, yeah. I can schedule things. Yeah. That's always good. All right. Um, I guess speaking of games, I'm, I'm still very deep into, uh, Valheim, which has been a lot of fun. So I, uh, I think I talked about this last time we did a show. I, I set up a home server or a personal server, whatever for Valheim with the intention of playing with my family. And then I started playing and got like really hooked. <laughs> and the way Valheim progresses, right? Some of the easy areas or the, the new, the newbie areas or whatever, they also get harder as you progress in the game. So it got to the point where uh, my kids and my wife and whatever, if they logged in and went to a quote-unquote easy area, it was no longer easy. So I had to stand up a second Valheim server <laughs> that the, I don't uh, touch. The, the family server and the hardcore server? Yeah, that I don't touch unless I'm playing with them. And uh, last weekend, we actually spent a good chunk of our Saturday just all four of us, uh, that this is right for aging from a seven year old <laughs> to a 12, well, almost 12 year old, 11 year old. And then my wife and I, um, playing Valheim together. And it was actually a lot of fun, uh, trying to get two siblings to agree long enough, especially in a game where you're building things and there's like a lot of like, I made that don't destroy it <laughs> going on. Uh, that was so a bit of a challenge, but well, it Valheim in a lot of ways is, is a more mature version of, of Minecraft. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's there's a lot of them really, there. the premise is very, very similar. Um, I mean, you could argue the same thing for like no man's sky, which is, it's, it's also very similar, but, uh, Valheim takes it to the point where like with Minecraft, you run a private server and that server has mods on it, whatever. And you can do all that stuff with, with Valheim. We don't, we don't, we haven't modded our Valheim server, but, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, my, I forget which, which kid it was came to me and they go, Valheim's a whole lot like, like Minecraft on survival mode and they never play in survival. They always play in creative mode. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, um, I was a little worried that our seven year old would not quite grasp Valheim so initially I only had the three of us and my wife and the seven-year-old were playing as like the same player but the seven-year-old kept basically taking <laughs> control and my wife wasn't getting to play so we bought another copy of Valheim so we all four could play at the same time so uh yeah I've now I've now spent uh close to a hundred dollars on Valheim <laughs> just so that all four of us can play uh, but yeah, it's, it's been fun though. It's been a lot of fun. Someday, so, someday I'll play. It's, it's so, really funny, I, right? Cause part of the, part of the problem of setting up four different people with Valheim is having four different computers that can run Valheim. Now Valheim's not a, not a very resource intensive game, but you still need four machines with graphics processors in them. Cause you can't just play it on like some yeah. crappy Intel chipset or something. Um, which I had to dig deep, right? And the, the fourth machine I'm setting up, I'm, I'm, I'm on machines that are like eight years old. Uh, one of which is the, the MacBook that I had gotten when I left the college, which, which is like, what is it like a 
But it's you have to it's like a you have to put uh, MacBook Pro or you, something. You have to run Windows on it though, right? Well, that's the, that's exactly what I was getting at, right? Because the reason you can't run it is because it's not on Mac, right? So I started looking. Right. How do I run it on a Mac? Like, there's got to be some way. Can I do it? There was there was a version of Wine that was made for Mac that you could run Windows games on Mac, and I thought maybe I could find that, but nobody's talking Crossover. about that anymore. I could. Yeah, Crossover maybe that's Office. what it was. I don't know. Does that still exist? I don't know. Does, oh yeah. Maybe that's oh, yeah. that's an option. But everyone's like, oh, run it in boot camp. Yep. I'm like, okay, I could I could do that, but that, that's going to require a Windows license, right? Because Bootcamp doesn't include a Windows license. And then I'm like, wait, Steam is a thing on Linux. Does mine or does does uh, uh, Valheim run on Linux? And sure enough, it's natively supported on Linux, <laughs> but not Mac. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, so uh, I ended up I put Fedora on the MacBook Pro, and I was running Valheim on it. But uh, we have an older Dell here. I'm pointing like it's right here. It's it's in this room somewhere. Uh, we have an older Dell, which actually runs it slightly better because it uh, it has an NVIDIA chipset in it, versus the right. the Mac has an ATI. I think. Um, not that ATI isn't any good, but just for whatever reason, the NVIDIA card just runs it better. So we ended up not using the MacBook. So I went through all the effort of putting Fedora on it and getting it working, and then we didn't use it for Fedora. Anyway, yeah, my my, so, yeah, my time may I've be coming soon. The uh, the uh, Steam Deck is supposed to go on sale tomorrow, or the there you go. The pre-orders, the people who are pre-ordered are supposed to be able to whatever. Some something's happening tomorrow with the Steam Deck. I'm in that group which may, somewhere. Which which may which may involve you having a Steam Deck in your hands. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, within <laughs> within a couple weeks or something. I don't know if it happens. Uh, maybe I'll be able to get to the point where I can play those games. Well, when um, you're ready to play Valheim, let me know. Maybe we can uh, get you onto one of our start, servers. Start on a new server so that you're not killing I'll me make, with your... Uh, I'll make another areas. server just to play with you. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, my, my, um, I mean, my, my, my kids have been playing it, so they, they seem to love it. Yeah. So the other thing I did want to mention tonight is something I've just started tinkering with today, right? Uh, you guys, maybe not you, Jason, specifically, you've heard me talk about this, but you weren't on the episode where we were talking about the metaverse. Um, I came across. Yeah, right. Well, so I have feelings about what the metaverse or what something metaverse or the Web3 should look like. And I'm very concerned Wait. that what we're getting Whoa. is not Whoa. what is metaverse what? and Web3 the same thing now? I don't know. It certainly seems okay. that way. A lot of those terms are getting munged. Are they? Because, okay, uh, that may be, but like I thought that they were two very, very distinct things. I'm hearing people talk about them like in the same sentence. I'm, I am now <laughs> I am now terrified. I'm not going to sleep for a month. Thank you. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, when we talked about the metaverse, I, I laid out this this idea of what it should look like what I think it should look like, right? And I think it should be a lot more like the web is today, or at least the web was when it was founded, which is decentralized. Anybody can stand up a server. They can put their content on that server. They can run it. And it is, you know, an internetworkable decentralized thing, right? Where one website can link to another and yada, yada, yada. Um, Jscar says web 3.0 includes metaverse, NFT, and crypto. So there you go. Um, so really what yeah, I'm what I'm picturing garbage. 
Yeah, what I'm picturing is something more like um, 3D representations or 3D worlds that fit an architecture very similar to the web that it is today, right? Where, like, I can have a server in my basement running whatever server architecture I want, whatever server package I want, running content that I've created and is running on my thing, and that can interlink with other other servers, right? Other worlds, right? It's not really what we're getting with the metaverse. We're getting Zuckerberg coming out with his walled garden, uh, horizon worlds and whatever. Uh, we're getting Decentraland and we're getting the sandbox, which are all closed worlds that don't really interoperate with each other. At least as far as I know, they don't have any plans to interoperate with each other. Well, I tell you all that to say that um, both Scar and I came across this article the same day, right? Uh, of this guy, and I'll I'll find the article and I'll throw it into the notes. Um, but this guy has a similar vision for the metaverse, right? And he wrote a VR server. It's called VR Space, and it's open source. It's very it's very much in its infancy, right? So don't expect like a fully baked thing here, right? It's 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 like one guy, maybe two guys that are working on this thing together. Um, and I started tinkering with it today and I actually got it stood up and working. Well, quote unquote working. Jscar can tell you because I, he and I were, were tinkering with it. Um, it kind of like I had it working on my laptop, but then I put it on my digital ocean droplet to try to let him join in and see if we could do a multiplayer thing. And it just crashed all over the place. Uh, but anyway, um, it's really neat and I'm going to put some links to it in the, in the notes. And folks, if, if you want to see a truly decentralized metaverse. These are the sort of projects we need to try to support. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling really passionate about that. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's one of the other things that I'm working on. I've started poking around. He's got a, he's got a Redmine instance stood up where you, he's got message forums and a bug tracker and he's got all of it out on GitHub and everything. So uh, I really want to get involved in that project or a project like it if that one doesn't work out, so. Anyway, I'll get off my metaverse soapbox now. <laughs> but um, maybe... What kind of soap is it? What kind of soap is it? Well, it's not hand soap. Not like that, like uh, uh, liquid soap. People say the soapboxes. I, I just want to know what kind of soap is it. Like, you know. Maybe it's ivory soap. Maybe? Okay. You and your ivory yeah, you know. soap tower. <laughs> my ivory soapbox tower. <laughs> Ah, so anyway, I don't know that we had much else for tonight, uh, but I am kind of, I, I, I would love to see, so I, I've talked about someday trying to host an episode of Iron Sysadmin from within a virtual space, right? And I was going to try to do it in something like VR chat because all the infrastructure is already there. Uh, it'd be even cooler, I think, if I could do it in VR space. That'd be really fun, I think. I don't know if that'll happen dear, or not, but uh, we'll Dear see. Patreons, I don't have a VR headset. Please give. <laughs> yeah, but you can borrow one from your kid. It's good enough. I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. But seriously, but, uh, if you could support me with Patreon completely, I, I didn't have to work anymore. It'd be great. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see, right? Maybe maybe someday <laughs> we'll we'll get there. I, I don't I don't know that that's really realistic. <laughs> no. Uh, that, that'd be that'd be a heck of a Patreon fund. I, I've seen some that are pretty, pretty big, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Um, I've definitely seen some Patreons that are like, this guy ain't working. I mean, he ain't working at a day job. He's working at this. This is it. This is what he does. <laughs> or this person. I guess it's not necessarily he. I always make that assumption. I, that's very bad at me, isn't it? I always say guy. Yes. You're a horrible person. You should feel ashamed of yourself. Does it help yep. that I correct it when I do it? Yes. Actually, it does. I but think I still so, do anyway. It. But I still, I still do it, so... You know, these things happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, folks, I think that's it for tonight. Uh, we want to thank everybody who's stuck with us live tonight. We're sorry about the weird technical difficulties that totally didn't happen at the beginning of the show. Because um, everything was perfect and there was there were no problems. Um, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah. So if you want to watch us live, you can do so on the second and fourth Thursday of the month. Every month. Except usually... Uh, November and December, because the fourth Thursday of those months is usually blocked by important holidays. Uh, but you can do so by watching us on YouTube or Twitch. Just look for the Iron System in podcast on either of those platforms. You can join our community on... No! No, that was the wrong button! No! Discord! On Discord! <laughs> right. Sometimes I guess don't may be a better name. <laughs> I guess, I guess if you're going to hit the wrong button, no. that's the one to hit. <laughs> uh, it's been a fun night. <laughs> anyway, there's a link to our Discord community in the notes. You can also find it on ironsystemin.com. You can find us on all the socials, or at least the two socials that we're on, which is Facebook and Twitter. Look for the Iron System In podcast, although we never actually really check Facebook. Because Facebook is a cesspool. Face what? I didn't say that out loud. I don't understand. Face. I don't understand. Faces. You don't understand don't that, that one? Don't and of course, that. you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Iron Sysadmin. And folks, I think that's a show. No. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Good one. All right. So, yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for doing whatever you do. And uh, enjoy all of your upcoming maintenance windows with all of the sage advice you've gotten from the Iron Sysadmin podcast. Um, you got any any final thoughts there, Jason? Well, I find that My thing. brain is fried. No thoughts at all. Okay. Well, I found the thing. So I think that's probably all for push, the best. All right, folks. Push the button, George. Good night. Push the button, Frank. <laughs>